sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. After our son Vian was born, my wife, Sonica, fell into a postnatal depression and she battled for the following three years with much anxiety and hectic insomnia. It was a terrible three years for us as a family. We lost our joy and took much strain. We tried everything in the natural to solve it, but nothing worked. In that season, I became desperate for more of God. I prayed for Sonica often, sometimes two to three times per night, but nothing improved. I was pushed into a corner to either become a doubter that God isn't working mightily anymore, or I had to humble myself and admit that I have a theology that God is powerful, but I simply don't know His power. We chose to not give up and to seek God for more of Him in our midst. It is the same with coming to salvation for an unbeliever or a Christian coming to a deeper revelation of who God is. You need to be desperate in a good way. You need to be pushed outside your comfort zone to seek, to ask, and to knock on the door of heaven until answers come. In our case, God began to move. Sonica was healed from a 26-year skin disease. She was healed from insomnia and set free from anxiety. We have seen hundreds upon hundreds of others tangibly healed through prayer in Jesus' name since then. Our lives have been radically transformed. However, some believe that miracles don't happen, have never happened, and can't happen. Men like philosopher David Hume made this position famous. In the previous message, I revealed that miracles are not illogical in the context of a creator God. If God made everything, then he can certainly intervene in this world to transcend the laws of nature and do a miracle. Some have embraced an anti-supernatural worldview, which is like putting on very specific glasses or a way of looking at this world that filters out all evidence for miracles. In a sense, they are blind to the miraculous event. They don't want to see it. And due to these glasses they've put on, they simply can't see it. This reveals the reality of Colossians 2 verse 8, which says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. You see, incorrect beliefs or false philosophy will steal from you. False ideas can make you mentally blind to the realities of God. Don't fall for it. If you give miracles a zero chance of ever occurring as Hume did, then you're not going to find any miracles. But if you keep an open mind and follow the evidence wherever it leads, well, it might take you to unexpected places. Professor Craig Keener, who is a widely respected and award-winning academic, wrote a 2,000-page book on miracles, documenting hundreds upon hundreds of modern-day miracles. He points out the anti-supernatural bias that some have. He shares how he debated another professor who was a former Christian. Keener says, I was frustrated that I couldn't persuade him. A friend who was with me said, You've refuted everything he said. 
But this professor dismissed every line of evidence I gave. Finally, I asked him, if somebody were raised from the dead in front of you, would you believe it? He said, no. Keener stopped for a moment, as if stunned anew by that reply. I just shook my head, he said. Here he was accusing me of being closed-minded because I'm a Christian. But he very clearly had an anti-supernatural presupposition that was shutting him off from a full consideration of the arguments and evidence. In other words, this man was blind, chose to be blind to the evidence for miracles due to his intellectual bias. Even if someone would be raised from the dead, he would not accept it as evidence for the miraculous because he believes miracles are impossible. So much for honest scientific inquiry. If you are to receive anything from this message today, then you need to take off the anti-supernatural bias for a moment. Take off those glasses that could make you more closed-minded than a believer in miracles. And allow me to give you evidence for the miraculous that is still happening today. Even some Christians are blind to the reality of miracles and they are missing out on all God has made available to them. If I didn't embrace God's miraculous power, my wife would be a shadow of the person she is today. We would have missed out. A physically blind person misses out on all the beauty of God's creation. They're limited. They live in a colorless world, unable to see where to walk or run. Some Christians believe that miracles died out with the original 12 apostles. A person who embraces this theology of cessationism is like the spiritually blind. Yes, you have some of your senses, but you're missing out. Would you want to be blind? Surely not. Yet, some are like that when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They say, not interested. It's like someone saying, I like to be blind. I don't want to see. The gifts of the Spirit gives us spiritual eyes to see and opens a whole new world to us as believers in Christ. It leads us into an exciting adventure with God. Unfortunately, many Christians go through life blind to the full inheritance God has made available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss out. I trust that today, through this message, God would open your eyes to His wonder-working power. I will share the story of a mind-boggling modern miracle, and we will unpack the theology of cessationism and show you that a way better interpretation of the Bible is that miracles are still for today. Blessed are the eyes which see. Unfortunately, some don't want to see it. They say it can't be, it's not happening anymore, and if something like that is happening, as in miracles, then it must be the devil. Well, I have good news today. God is almighty and powerful and he's not dead. He's still working mightily on earth because he loves people and wants to get their attention. Miracles are God's marketing to get people to listen to the glorious gospel message. We should ask the right questions to evaluate the veracity of the miracle claim. Are they eyewitnesses? When we have multiple independent and reliable witnesses, this increases the probability that their testimony is accurate. Do the witnesses have a reputation for honesty? Are there any medical records? What were the precise 
circumstances and timing of the event. If there is a significant improvement in a medical condition at the moment prayer was given in the name of Jesus, then it tilts the evidence in favor of it being a genuine miracle. Let's apply reason and evaluate. In the Bible, we see a pattern of miracles. Miracles were part and parcel of Jesus' ministry, also the ministry of the apostles and other disciples. Even two deacons are mentioned in the book of Acts who move in the power of God, of signs and wonders. Did miracles cease after the apostles died? Are miracles still happening today? Do we as believers have a role to play in causing miracles to happen in our midst? Are we to partner with God in seeing his kingdom come tangibly? In the following phenomenal healing miracle account, I give evidence to the above questions being answered. This account is taken from the book, The Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel. Professor Craig Keener shares about Barbara Snyder, who had a significant healing miracle, having been both blind and suffering from multiple sclerosis. Craig Keener personally interviewed Barbara and confirmed the facts with two physicians who treated her. There are numerous independent witnesses to her condition and years of medical records. In fact, two of her doctors were so astounded by her case that they've written about it in books. One of those physicians, Dr. Harold P. Adolf, a board-certified surgeon who performed 25,000 operations in his career, declared, Barbara was one of the most hopelessly ill patients I ever saw. Barbara is described as a budding gymnast in high school, playing flute in the orchestra, but symptoms began appearing. She would trip, bump into walls, and was unable to grasp the rings in gym class. The prognosis was not good. Over the next 16 years, her condition continued to deteriorate. She spent months in hospitals, often for pneumonia, after being unable to breathe. One diaphragm was paralyzed, rendering a lung non-functional. The other lung operated at less than 50%. A tracheostomy tube was inserted into her neck with oxygen pump from canisters in her garage. She lost control of her urination and bowels, a catheter was inserted into her bladder, and ileostomy was performed with a bag attached for her bodily waste. She went legally blind, unable to read, and only capable of seeing objects as grey shadows. A feeding tube was inserted into her stomach. Her abdomen was swollen grotesquely because the muscles of her intestine did not work. She now needed continuous oxygen and her muscles and joints were becoming contracted and deformed because she could not move or exercise them. Specialists had no recommendations to help stop this progressive wasting disease except to pray for a miracle. By 1981, she hadn't been able to walk for seven years. She was confined to bed. Her body twisted like a pretzel into a fetal position. Her hands were permanently flexed to the point that her fingers nearly touched her wrists. Her feet were locked in a downward position. The physician explained to her family that it was just a matter of time before she would die. Barbara entered hospice care in her home with a life expectancy of less than six months. 
One day, someone called in Barbara's story to the radio station of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. A request was broadcast for listeners to pray fervently for her. Some 450 Christians wrote letters to her church saying they were lifting up Barbara in prayer. On Pentecost Sunday, 1981, her aunt came over to read her some of the letters in which people offered prayers for her healing. Two girlfriends joined them. Suddenly, during a lull in the conversation, Barbara heard a man's voice speak from behind her, even though there was nobody else in the room. The words were clear and articulate and spoken with great authority, but also with great compassion. Said the voice, My child, get up and walk. Seeing that Barbara had become agitated, one of her friends plugged the hole in her neck so she could speak. I don't know what you're going to think about this, Barbara told them, but God just told me to get up and walk. I know he really did. Run, get my family. I want them here with us. Her friends ran out and yelled for her family, come quick, come quick. Bob felt compelled to do immediately what she was divinely instructed. So she literally jumped out of bed and removed her oxygen. She was standing on legs that had not supported her for years. Her vision was back and she was no longer short of breath even without her oxygen. Her contractions were gone and she could move her hands and feet freely. Her mother ran into the room and dropped to her knees, feeling Barbara's calves. You have muscles again, she exclaimed. Her father came in, hugged her, and whisked her off for a waltz around the family room. Everyone moved to the living room to offer a tearful prayer of thanksgiving. That evening, there was a worship service at Wheaton Wesleyan Church, where Barbara's family attended. Most of the congregation knew about Barbara's grave condition. During the service, when the pastor asked if anyone had any announcements, Barbara stepped into the center aisle and casually strolled toward the front. A cacophony of whispers came from all parts of the church. People started clapping. And then, as if led by a divine conductor, the entire congregation began to sing, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. They saw an incredible miracle. The next day, Barbara came to Dr. Marshall's office for an examination. Seeing her in the hallway, walking toward him, He says, I thought I was seeing an apparition. No one had ever seen anything like this before, the doctor said. He told Barbara, this is medically impossible, but you are now free to go out and live your life. A chest x-ray that afternoon showed her lungs were already perfectly normal, with a collapsed lung completely expanded. The intestine that had been been vented to the abdominal wall was reconnected normally. She was eventually restored to complete health. Barbara has now lived for 35 years with no recurrence of her illness. She subsequently married a minister and feels her calling in life is to serve others. Both physicians marvel at her extraordinary recovery. Marshall wrote, 
I've never witnessed anything like this before or since and considered it a rare privilege to observe the hand of God performing a true miracle. Said Adolf, both Barbara and I knew who had healed her. This is a mind-blowing miracle. Multiple trustworthy eyewitnesses concur what happened and that Barbara was able to get up out of bed right after hundreds of Christians prayed for her and when she heard a man's voice behind her saying, My child, get up and walk, is telling. There was no man in the room physically visible. Anyone could claim to hear voices. That proves nothing. But to be miraculously healed right after you believe you heard God's voice certainly points to the authenticity of Jesus Christ speaking to her and continuing his healing ministry of opening the eyes of the blind and causing the lame to walk. I love that. My child, get up and walk. It's like scripture coming to life. What naturalistic cause for this miraculous healing could someone possibly give? The only option left for a skeptic would be to say, they are all lying, all scheming together to deceive others. If you claim that they are all lying, then maybe you are more closed-minded than any Christian and reject honest inquiry. You might be like that professor that said even if the dead are raised in front of him, he still wouldn't believe it. This account also confirms the power of prayer. Hundreds of people prayed for Barbara, and as her aunt read the prayers over her, the miracle came to pass. The miracle-working God. If God is real, and if our faith is true, then there must be evidence for what we believe. All through Scripture, we see that the God of the Bible is a miracle-working God. We see this theme of bringing freedom to mankind, starting with the Israelites who were oppressed as slaves by the pharaohs of Egypt. God calls Moses to partner with him and to bring freedom to Moses' people. God appears to Moses in the burning bush account. The miracle of the burning bush got Moses' attention. Then God speaks to him from the fire in Exodus 3 verse 19. This is God speaking, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. Miracles reveals the power of God. God knew that unless all kinds of miracles are revealed, the Israelites would not have been set free. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of, of Egypt clashed. And God revealed his superior might by humiliating the proud and hard-hearted Pharaoh. In the same way today, if we want to see many multitudes turn to the one true God, then we need signs and wonders and miracles that point them to faith in Jesus. The good news of bringing freedom to mankind in Jesus Christ comes with miracles. There's a camp among Christians called cessationists who mostly believe that Jesus and the apostles did miracles as described in the Bible, but those miracles stopped with the completion of the biblical canon. They say, we no longer need miracles. We have all we need in the Bible. Are you sure? The world population has exploded over the last century. If God is going to get the attention of multitudes, then we certainly would need miracles again. So let's take a look at some of the reasons for cessationism and compare that with the continuationist position. 
Continuationists believe that the same model of ministry that Jesus, the apostles, and other disciples walked in are still valid for Christians today. My desire is to call believers back to the Bible, to embrace what God's Word says, and not to give superficial reasons to reject the miraculous gospel as if it's no longer for today. So reasons for cessationism, number one, lack of experience. One of the main reasons cessationists reject the belief that miracles are for today is that they have never experienced miracles for themselves. Some say, I've been a Christian for over 30 years and there have been no miracles in our church environment. I've never seen a miracle, not once. Now, this reveals a lack of understanding of the nature of miracles. In general, you need the right environment, a faithful environment, to see a miracle come to pass. In an environment where there is a strong disbelief in miracles, the result will be mostly no miracles. Jesus said, let it be done to you according to your faith. When Jesus went to his hometown, Nazareth, the people were offended with him. And the word of God says, now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus is most probably marveling at this very moment because of the unbelief in some churches today. Have you declared that Jesus Christ still heals? And have you stepped out and prayed for someone to be healed or set free in Jesus' name? If not, then it's not surprising that you haven't seen a miracle. Faith needs feet. When you step out, that's when God shows up. Unfortunately, when our theology denies that miracles are part of the biblical gospel, it tends to kill our faith and miracles dry up. What does the Bible say? Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of God, and then he demonstrated the kingdom of God by healing the sick and setting people free. Then Jesus trained his 12 apostles to go out and do the same. We see this in Luke chapter 9. It says, then he called, that's Jesus, his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So, is this only for the apostles then? In the next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 others, non-apostles, sent out to do the same as Jesus and the apostles, to preach and to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom. Jesus said to the 70, And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. So here we see it. Non-apostles commanded to heal the sick there. Could this also be a command to each of us today? If you would leave a new Christian in a room for a year on their own and they only read the Bible, they will conclude that miracles are still for today. You must read into the scripture something it doesn't say and twist it to try to prove that miracles are no longer for today. Let's get back to what the Bible says and not allow our lack of experience of miracles to influence our interpretation of the Bible. Some might say, well, maybe this gospel of the kingdom was only valid for that first season, for the establishing of the early church. Well, not according to Jesus' own words. He said in Matthew 24, 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Jesus was saying, this gospel, the gospel of the kingdom that I am preaching and healing and setting people free will be preached all across the world to all nations. And then the end will come. Well, the end hasn't come yet. This gospel of the kingdom is still valid for today. Those parts of the church who believe and proclaim that God is still the God of miracles are the fastest growing sections of the church. The Pentecostal charismatic part of the church grew from almost no one at the beginning of the 1900s to over 600 million believers today. And more and more parts of the church world are discovering that God is still powerful. Here's a beautiful testimony of eyes being healed of an incurable disease called glaucoma. Lelani, wonderful to have you with us. Thank you very much. So we had the privilege of praying with your mom about six years ago. She had major, major eye problems. She was basically going blind, an incurable eye disease. Uh, so share with us a bit of the background before we prayed for her. So my mom was diagnosed with glaucoma when she was a young 21 years old. And pretty much there's no cure for glaucoma. It is a degenerative eye disease. It slowly steals your vision. So in my mom's case, it means you lose your peripheral vision first until slowly it closes in until you lose your vision completely. Uh, it's to do with the pressure buildup in your eye. It's, it's not a really nice thing. You can treat it to delay it but the inevitable is the inevitable. You go blind eventually. Um, and so the treatment's quite painful. It's not really great. Uh, the pressure in my mom's eyes have gotten so bad. Normal pressure is between 12 to 14 when it register at. My mom's left eye registered at 26, uh, which you run the risk of your eye physically popping. It's, she, she didn't really get a great prognosis from the doctor the previous time that she had gone before we prayed. So the specialist said to her that you pretty much need to lay out your house. You need to know where everything is because you could wake up one morning and be blind or have lost significant vision. So it was sort of like we were in a phase of this is now real, this is a reality, this is happening. We need to make preparation. It's, it, was a, it was a grim grim day when my mom got back from the doctor that day. So she had the disease for about 36 years, 36, 37 years at that time, from the age of 21 to around 58. And I remember when we prayed for her, she had these thick, thick glasses. I mean, if so if she took that off, she probably couldn't see almost nothing. Everything would be a blur. So we had a healing service at, uh, at church that one Sunday, and uh, you brought your mom to church. So share a little bit about that. Uh, so we come from a church background where we don't, we don't talk about the supernatural. We don't pray for healing. It's just so far out of the box of what we believed. And I think I, I'd been new to Shofar. I started coming recently and um, I just had I just had faith. I heard so many testimonies and I was just like, how, who am I to limit God? Like, what can he do and what can't he do? Like, why can't he heal my mom? Surely. So at the end of the service, after sharing about, you know, Jesus still heals, you guys came forward but your mom wasn't that excited. You sort of had to say, come on, mom, let's, let's do this. Come to the front, Let, let's pray for you. Um, and so we came right to the front um, and then you still, still came to her to pray. And this is kind of the last hope that we have because the specialist has sort of written me off now saying, there's nothing really we can do here. All the treatment's not working anymore. It's not, not really seeing a difference anymore. This is the last resort. 
Yeah, I mean, it's massive to be going blind. I mean, it just changes everything. And so we prayed once, and then I t told her, also, okay, now check, you know. We prayed in Jesus' name, be healed. And then she checked, and then it was the same, no change. Prayed the second time. I said, test, and she said, well, maybe a little bit, but still she was like, but she just, she just want to run away. And then I had to, you know, persuade her. Let's just pray one more time. Like, don't run. Let's just pray one more time. And then we prayed in the name of Jesus. And then when she tested, there was massive improvement. The third time was quite incredible. We still had like these signs at the back of the church's banners with quite fine writing on, which I mean, someone would generally maybe struggle to read it from a distance. I remember my mom taking them off and her glasses and just being able to actually make out the words, which never would have happened at all. Even with the glasses, it would have been a struggle. And so it was so incredible. and. We were just so overjoyed. It was quite amazing. Like, even when we got home, I immediately took my mom's phone and I was like, okay, we're sending this back to the normal, normal text size. It's not going to be that big jumbo one because uh, she, she always battled and suddenly she could see it easily. That evening, the news came on, those little texts came up, took her glasses off. She was able to actually see and read the words. So without the glasses, she could actually read? Without the glasses. That's amazing. Which is quite incredible because any vision loss when you have glaucoma is permanent vision loss because of the nerve damage. So it's medically impossible for you to get your vision yeah. back after you've lost it. It's impossible. Like it would have been a miracle had her eyes just stopped getting weaker. But the fact that it improved made it completely medically impossible. So then she went back to the specialist. So the specialist has been seeing her for 10 to 15 years, a yearly test that he did on her. Now my mom went back for a checkup to go see how things were doing. And he, no, he, he had known her case very well. He was the one that gave her the news of, listen, I, we have no more hope here. And he did the tests and he looked at her. She said, she'll never forget. He was sitting across the room and he was just like, I don't know what to say to you because you don't even register on the scale of glaucoma anymore. Like this is, I have no reason. I have no explanation for you. This makes no sense. It's medically impossible. But there he was. So today, about six years later, Six years later, still no, no sign of glaucoma. Um, she stopped going to the specialist yearly. It's becoming like a second year. Every second year, just check up to make sure everything's fine. Every single time she's gone, everything's fine. Uh, and, it, and it still baffles him. He's still quite surprised and doesn't really know what to do with it. That is a, an undeniable miracle. Undeniable. Praise God. The second reason some reject the belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today are due to the abuses. Some would justify their rejection of miracles by saying, Have you seen how these preachers abuse the gifts of the Spirit and do fake miracles just to get people's money? That shows you. It's all rubbish. I want nothing to do with so-called miracles. Now, it's true. They are fakes. And those who misuse the gifts... But it was the same in the time of the Apostle Paul. He addressed abuses and the topic of false apostles in the scriptures. Just because they are fakes and because they are abuses doesn't change what the scriptures say about the true gifts of the Spirit. Again, we cannot allow our negative experiences to cause us to reject the wonderful gifts of the Spirit that God has made available to us. Let's not be blind to what God has given to us. According to 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for every believer, not only the original apostles. It says there, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles. The gifts of the Spirit are given to each one. It's available to you right now. Why does someone make counterfeit money? Because banknotes are valuable. The gifts of the Spirit are valuable treasures given to the church. Just because they are fakes and the counterfeit doesn't mean there isn't the real deal as well. How would you know if something is the counterfeit? By knowing the real deal. When you know what the real deal looks like, sounds like and feels like, then when the fake comes around, it's obvious. If someone comes to our church community glorifying themselves, being arrogant and using people for selfish gain, we will know this is the fake, the counterfeit, because we know the real deal. The real deal is about Jesus Christ and his glory. The real deal is about loving people and serving them. The real deal is about self-sacrifice, humility, and even loving those who hate us. While the fake is about self-gain, arrogance, and hating your critics. Matthew 7 verse 15. It says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. It doesn't say beware of prophets, it says beware of false prophets. The Bible assumes that they are true prophets and false prophets. But today, in certain sectors of the church, they believe all prophets are false. If you believe that, you're missing out on all the good God wants to bring into your life through the true prophetic. And the final reason... Some reject miracles today is because of a misunderstanding of the power of God. Because they don't believe miracles from God are still for today. Some cessationists say miracles from God are no longer for today. So if there are miracles, it must be of the devil. This position is so disappointing. Not only do these believers miss out on all God has made available to them, but they also become the greatest persecutors of their brothers and sisters in Christ. We will share the same heaven one day, but the cessationists can't stand those who believe miracles are still for today. Let's love one another and give one another grace. I sometimes imagine heaven one day, and as some of these extremely vocal cessationist believers enter heaven, Jesus might tell them, Now, before I let you in, Please go over there and apologize to your brothers and sisters in Christ who believed in miracles whom you persecuted so viciously. I think Jesus will do that one day. Lord, please do that. Cessationists believers are most probably sincere in their beliefs. But they have fallen for the same trap that the Pharisees fell for when Jesus was doing ministry. The Pharisees claimed that Jesus' theology was bad. So he cannot be of God. For instance, they thought Jesus was breaking the Sabbath in healing people on the Sabbath. So he has a demon. They had a certain understanding of how things should work. And here comes someone that functions outside their neatly organized little box. And they come to the conclusion it's demonic power. Jesus says in Matthew 10. Verse 25, and since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, 
the members of my household will be called by even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. Jesus was demonized by those who should have known better. The reason Jesus was called the Prince of Demons was not because of his preaching, but because of the miracles that he did. Those who function in genuine signs and wonders by the power of God will also be accused that the miracles they are doing are done by demonic power. The Pharisees crucified Jesus literally, and unfortunately, modern-day Pharisees tend to crucify some Christians who genuinely walk in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Don't fall for this trap and become like the Pharisees of old. Jesus called the Pharisees blind leaders of the blind. My prayer is that eyes would be opened and that we would all return to what the Bible says. Some cessationists accuse certain legitimate Christian ministries of being demonically empowered or being new age or having a kundalini spirit or that they are applying Eastern mysticism and not biblical Christianity. Maybe there are some who are demonically empowered, but I've often seen that the critic simply reveals his or her lack of understanding of the power of God. Let me illustrate. Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him to let God's people go. A showdown or clash of power follows between Pharaoh's sorcerers, who are empowered by demonic power, and Moses, who is empowered by God himself. Exodus 7, verse 8, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Aaron throws down his staff and it changes into a snake. A snake? That doesn't seem very Holy Spirit-like. And the sorcerers follow to do the same thing. They also cause snakes to manifest demonically, but Moses' snake consumes the other two snakes, being vastly more powerful because nothing comes close to God's power. So here's a clash of kingdoms and of power. So imagine a modern cessationist observing the event that day in the palace. He goes out and he tells the Israelites, Guys, I tell you, Moses is not of God. He is empowered by the devil himself. He caused a staff to be transformed into a snake. It looked just like the sorcerer's snakes. And we know they are being demonically empowered. I tell you, Moses is of the devil. Let's all go out and preach against him. Next time Moses goes to speak to Pharaoh, there's a bunch of cessationists outside the palace with their placards warning everyone about Moses and shouting, Stay away from Moses! He's not of God! Now that would be silly, but that's exactly what's happening today to some sincere ministers of the gospel. The truth is that Moses was the real deal, empowered by God himself to do signs and wonders. Moses wasn't copying the sorcerers, they were copying him. God is the creator God, and all genuine power and authority comes from him. 
Just because some manifestations or moves of the Holy Spirit might look like some manifestations you might find in the New Age or Eastern religions doesn't mean it's demonic. It reveals that the occult or false religions are trying to copy the real deal. The devil is a counterfeit. So instead of saying Moses was copying the sorcerers, it is actually the sorcerers copying Moses. God's power is the real deal. And the other religions or other sources of power are trying to copy the real deal to deceive people. Moses continued to do miracles in Egypt and the sorcerers could copy the first two signs that he did. But when they came to the third, they could no longer keep up. Exodus 8 speaks of this. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Even the sorcerers had to admit, this is the power of God. There is a point where the magnitude of the genuine miracles of God dwarfs the attempts of the competition. That is when occultists and those operating in demonic power begin to turn to God as they discover that the Christian God is truly the creator and ultimate power in the universe. Jesus multiplied food, raised the dead, healed thousands, stilled storms, cast thousands of demons out of one man. This is out of the ordinary. We know from scripture that Jesus doesn't change and that he is present today through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is still doing mighty signs and wonders, opening the eyes of the blind and causing multitudes to turn to him to be forgiven of their sins and saved. May your eyes be open to see all God has made available to you. Who wants to be blind to the fullness of God? Hunger and thirst for the gifts of the Spirit, for greater intimacy with God the Holy Spirit. Embrace the original biblical gospel of the kingdom to see many lives transformed. Don't have an indifferent attitude about the gifts of the Spirit. Reject distorted, unbelieving theology or false philosophy and believe. Desire more. Pursue more of God. Ask God for more and He will give you more. Let it be done to you according to your faith. Let me pray. Father, I pray that eyes would be open physically and spiritually to see all your glory and wonder. May the children of God have their eyes open to see the miracle-working God and partner with you to see you manifest your glory and goodness in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.